state lawmakers are holding a flurry of committee hearings this month as they wrap up much of their work in this two-year legislative session. Then they'll largely turn their attention to the elections this fall. Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says his party will be very aggressive in passing welfare reform measures. But just why is that a subject GOP lawmakers want to leave in voters' minds? WUWM's Marty Michelson posed that question to J.R. Ross of WISPolitics.com for this week's Capital Notes Conversation. Well, they see it as something that's politically popular. There are several bills that are percolating, but remember the Trump administration has also been making moves to make this easier for states to do. Governor Walker has made this a plank of his reelection bid, saying that safety net programs should be a, a trampoline, not a hammock, in his words. So I think it's part of a Republican ideology of we should be trying to get people who are on these programs into the workforce. We have a number of jobs that are open in Wisconsin right now. They're trying to find everyone they can to fill them. To them, programs like you know, having drug screening, for example, with some of these programs would help toward that end. Now, the critics say that these are punitive toward people who are poor, that they are not helping people, that they're actually punishing them. So there's definitely an ideological split. But to Republicans, they think it's popular with people, uh, swing voters especially, and that this is in their race. And this is something that, never mind, will help close the, the gap we have between the jobs that we have available and the people we have to fill them. Madison Mayor Paul Soglin made a big splash last week when he formally announced his bid for governor. He joins the crowded field of Democrats. Walker immediately launched attacks on Soglin, criticizing him for a spike in the murder rate in Madison and saying, quote, the last thing we need is more Madison in our lives. Walker also sent out a fundraising email titled, Not Another Bernie, as people have drawn similarities between Soglin and Bernie Sanders. Is this a sign that Walker is threatened by Soglin? Well, he wants to define his opponent uh, in people's minds before Soglin has that opportunity. So when you see stories about Soglin's announcement, you see Governor Walker's tweets and his comments. And so it's part of a, a strategy of getting that message into the discussion. I mean, I don't know how many people around the state know what Madison's murder rate is, for example. Now they're talking about it. That's part of that. You know, it's interesting because... Governor Walker is tearing down Madison in some ways at the same time he's using Madison to sell Wisconsin's place for millennials to move back to to fill the jobs we have open. So there are people who feel it's a little bit hypocritical of him to be doing that. But for sure, I mean, Walker, you've seen him with everybody who's kind of announced he's been a affordable candidate. He is taking shots at them to try and enter those, those thoughts into the conversation about that person's candidacy. And, you know, it's a kind of basic campaign strategy. Meanwhile, Walker was traveling across the state last week, again touting his record on education, including the additional money he put into the budget this year for K-12, through along with a bill that would boost funding for low spending and rural school districts. Why is it important for Walker to emphasize his education record? Well, there are a couple of things. Let's talk about the politics first. One, Governor Walker has been criticized in past campaigns for cuts to education early in his term. There are Democrats who say he hasn't given enough to schools while he's been in office. We saw a rash of referendum uh, over the last few years that have passed. have sent a sign to people in office that the voters want to see more money or more resources for schools. This is Walker refl- you know, reacting to that. Policy-wise, this was one of the standoffs between Republicans in the budget where they wanted this low-revenue school plan. Walker did not want to see an impact on property taxes, so he vetoed it out. Walker wanted a sparse aid package that some Republicans said no rather than this low revenue plan. This now is an opportunity for him to reach an agreement and knock it out policy-wise this session that also have a political benefit for both sides. 
At the same time, former Democratic State Representative Mandela Barnes of Milwaukee formally entered the race for lieutenant governor. It appears there might only be a few candidates for lieutenant governor and not the crowded field that we're seeing for governor. Is that advantageous for Barnes and anyone else who formally announces a bid for lieutenant governor? Well, it'll be interesting because the two people we're really looking for the most are Mandela Barnes and Kurt Kober, who's a Sheboygan businessman. He'd lived elsewhere for coming back home uh, not too long ago. They're the ones getting talked about the most. If you have 19 people registered for governor, I think as Democrats, last time I checked, maybe nine of whom will run real elections, they're going to struggle for attention just because of the sheer numbers of people in the race. So if you're, lieutenant, you're running for lieutenant governor, how do you get attention? How do you break through? That'll be interesting to watch for these guys because I don't know many people who you know, are going to spend a lot of time in lieutenant governor's forum right now in January ahead of the election. So for Mandela, he can sell the fact he's in office before. He's a party official, state party official. Um, he has a voting record. You know, he's from Milwaukee, which is a very voter-rich area in Democratic primaries. You know, Kurt Kober has got personal resources, we believe. We'll see how that plays out when he files his campaign, campaign finance reports. But having resources helps you spread a message. He's also taking kind of more outside-the-box approach to Lieutenant Governor's office, maybe traditionally. So that may make, catch people's attention that way. And then come August, when a push comes to shove, we'll be watching what do groups do? Do unions get involved in that race? Do they endorse somebody? Um, do you see progressive groups like encourage their members to turn out for these one of these guys because they endorsed them? I don't know yet. It'll be interesting to watch. But when you're talking when the focus will be in the governor's race, anything they can do at the lieutenant governor's level, they get attention and help spread the message will be helpful. Any help they get from outside groups will also benefit them come uh, primary day. Moving on to another race, Republican U.S. Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson raised twice as much money as his primary challenger, State Senator Leah Vukmir, over a three-month period in the race to unseat Democrat Tammy Baldwin. Nicholson is backed by former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, while Vukmir has the support of many GOP state lawmakers. What is the significance of Nicholson having that much of a financial advantage at this point? We won't see the final numbers until later this month when the reports are actually due. So we only have like the campaign's word of he raised 800000 she raised 400000 They both finished the year about 500000 bucks in the bank. So on the surface, it gives Nicholson a talking point, right, that he doubled up his opponent in amount of money raised. And also there's been this perception of that race that Leah is kind of the, the grassroots person who's got a record in Wisconsin. Nicholson's kind of more of somebody who's come in and isn't as well known and his campaign teams from out of state and all that kind of stuff. So it gives him another talking point of he's making a connection. But the reality is both of them are not in the same league as Tammy Baldwin when it comes to fundraising. She put out new numbers late last week that she raised $2.8 million in the final three months of 2017. By my math, she's raised close to $10 million, uh, some round numbers. In 2017, her campaign says both of those marks are records for a federal candidate from Wisconsin in a quarter and the full off year. Um, so a quarter and then off year. Those are impressive numbers. I mean, she is definitely out way ahead of these guys. Now the question becomes as we move toward the election, how do super PACs get involved? Both Nicholson and uh, Vukmir have one. Does that race get nasty on the Republican side in that primary? Does Eric Hovde get in? The massive businessman, we don't know about that for sure. That could drain resources because if Baldwin can kind of keep money coming in and build a, a big bank, once those guys finish the primary, she can go on the attack to find her opponent while they're trying to raise money to get back on their feet, 
and define herself. So I anticipate that Baldwin will have a, a healthy chunk of change come summer. This matter when she starts spending it and what does she do with it? Oh, by the way, where is she at in the pecking order of races um, come 10 months from now, eight months from now? Where does the outside money go? If there's an opportunity to beat Tammy Baldwin here in Wisconsin, you can bet outside groups will spend money here. Uh, that also means that Baldwin will get money, help from national Democrats. But if she's way out ahead and nothing's happening, it might be a different story. So that's one thing to watch too.